Hello and welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. It's very good to see you today. Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided for the most part by your questions on the Bible. That's right, if you have questions on the Bible, you can send them in to us live on the show through our various social media platforms and we will delve into scripture to answer those questions. That's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. So we're very glad that you're joining us and we welcome you to send those questions in. My name is Dave Robson. I am your host and we'll be fielding those questions literally as we go along on the various platforms. With us today, father-son team, the boys in blue once That's again, <laughs> Sean Richard and, and Scott Richards. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Yeah. Hoping the wind dies down. Yeah, it's yeah. been a windy day. And you guys do an outreach Friday night. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, at the shop meet. Shop meet. The shop meet. The swap meet. Swap meet. Thank you. You should tell them about it. Can Actually, people <laughs> like more shop than swap. Yeah, shop and swap me. I'm going to call thing. it shop me from now on. <laughs> but yeah, you face all kinds of weather, cold. And yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just won't call it anything anymore at all. But yeah, we'll be praying for you out there tonight uh, and that the wind would die down indeed. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. Um, as I mentioned, Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time here in Tucson, Arizona. That's where we're based. But of course, you can join us around the world, whatever time that is for you. And we have viewers from all around the world. It's very exciting to see the reach that we have uh, achieved on this show through the Lord's help, of course. Uh, a Reason for Hope is an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. So if you keep that in mind when you're trying to find us, that will help you out. We have a website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. While you're there, do have a, a little poke around in there. We have an events page. You see that link right there towards the right where you can see uh, Bible studies and groups and all kinds of things. We have a men's breakfast tomorrow morning, all kinds of things going on. So don't be a stranger. Uh, spend some time on the website and just check out everything going on here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. But uh, for the purposes of Reason for Hope, if you follow that Watch Live tab right there, that will take you out to our live page, where when we're off air, you'll see a countdown to our next show, and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events. Uh, not only Reason for Hope, but again, our services here. Calvary Christian Fellowship. But when we're live, you'll see the live video. You can sign in with a username of your choice and be part of the broadcast through your questions. And once again, I'll be hosting those and fielding those. The direct link for that is ccftucson.online.church. Or again, follow the, the link there from our calvarychristianfellowship.com website. On Facebook, again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or facebook.com slash ccftucson. While you're there, if you've been blessed by the ministry, please like and share around to your friends. We'd love to reach as many people as we can with the good news of the word. So we'd appreciate that. If we've been a blessing to you, we'd love to be a blessing to others also. We have an app as well for your mobile device on uh, whether it's iPhone or Android. If you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, you kind of get the theme going here. Look for that Calvary Chapel uh, White Dove logo. And that's our app you can download. And also on Roku and Apple TV, if you have a smart TV or those devices, you can watch us on the big screen as well. It's been really cool. We were just talking today as a staff. It's just how we've developed over the last couple of years. Starting off, we just stream into Facebook, and then it's kind of grown. So it was really exciting to kind of recap what the Lord has done. Um, on YouTube, the channel is called A Reason for Hope. So search for that on YouTube or, or youtube.com slash at a reason for hope 546. That's a really great place to go. If you missed a show or wanted to recap a question, the videos are all there. Also, our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. So it's a great resource for you. Once again, like and, uh, and share and subscribe and click the bell so you're notified when we're live so we can just intrude on you, whatever you're doing. 
just come up as a little ping. We're live, and you can come watch us. So you'll want to do that, of course. Uh, Pastor Scott here is on Twitter. His handle right. is Scott R4H on Twitter. He it's posts. Smiling face. There. Yes, it is. It's a lovely picture. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that photo shoot. That's a family shoot that you had. I've seen those around. Uh, but yes, you can follow him on Twitter. He posts uh, highlights from the show, you know, highlighted questions, and kind of commentary on world events and prophetic things and uh, news articles and things like that from a biblical perspective. So it's great to follow along with him on Twitter, Scott R4H, if you're so inclined and if you're a Twitter kind of person. And last but not least, our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com. On the radio, you are listening to a pre-recorded version of our show, usually yesterday's show, so you'll want to use that email address. But on every other platform, we are live, as I mentioned, live as can be. So please send your questions in early. Sometimes we do run out of time. We often do. We have to do a speed round at the end. So get the questions in early, and we would love to line them up to get to on the broadcast today. Well, gentlemen, which one of you would like to pray? I'm sure you both would. Yeah. We start in a soft arm wrestle you for it. <laughs> so you can now, <laughs> isn't you? Pinky. Thank you that we have the chance to be here. I want to invite you to be here as well. Give us the opportunity to share your word as much as your heart, to not only communicate the truth, but in a way that personally matters to the people listening. Thank you that you've entrusted even one person to be edified, exhorted, and comforted by this broadcast. And we ask that this, along with everything else you've called us to do today, would be what you'd also equip us for. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so what's going on? Well, uh, quite a bit. Uh, one of the things uh, that we uh, try to uh, encourage you all to do is to stay up to date uh, on matters of uh, biblical prophecy. And uh, a great place uh, to uh, do that is uh, the ministry of our friend Amir Safadi. Uh, he has a weekly... A newsletter, Behold Israel is the name of his ministry. And I always look forward to his weekly newsletter because he really does give us a, uh, a really wonderful uh, overview and uh, some insights into things that are going on in Israel of, of prophetic significance, mm. uh, signs of the times we need to be aware of uh, as we anticipate the Lord's return. So if uh, you're interested in uh, connecting with him, uh, you can uh, look up Behold Israel. Uh, his uh, ministry online, uh, Amir Serfati. Uh, he has a uh, large platform on the Telegram uh, media platform. Uh, there's, um, uh, I guess, uh, pretend uh, Amir Serfati websites also on Telegram. But if you look for the one that has like about 500,000 followers, you'll, mm. you'll, you'll find Amir. Is this a website, right? Uh, uh, yeah, well? yeah, like yeah, there you go. Genuine? Uh, yes, that yeah. that is in fact the genuine article there. Right. And uh, you can see up there, if you'll just scroll down for just a bit, scroll or scroll up, I would oh, say. Oh. <laughs> uh, the other day. Uh, you'll see join our newsletter there, oh, yeah. and you can subscribe to his newsletter. Just put right. your uh, email in there. And uh, I think you're going to find it a, a really uh, wonderful way to stay on the cutting edge. A couple of uh, highlights uh, that we picked up from taking a look at Amir's website. We always look at Amir's website. We look at the Jerusalem Post. We look at uh, Joel Rosenberg's excellent allisraelnews.org uh, uh, website that he has put together in that area, uh, and uh, a number of other uh, sources from the Middle East, seeing what's going on around there. Just a few uh, updates we want to give to you. We've talked a bit about the horrendous uh, earthquake that uh, yeah. shook Turkey and northern Syria. The uh, uh, death toll 
has now exceeded 41,000 people. Oh, my goodness. In this disaster. It's passed from the news because we're worried about our government shooting down weather balloons and, you know, things like this. It started like three, wasn't it? Built, spilled chemicals everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It was like 3,000 when we... 3,000 when we first uh, yeah. talked about it, uh, but now over 41,000. Uh, Israel is involved uh, in uh, the relief efforts, but uh, one of the unfortunate things that is going on there is that some of the uh, relief funds that are going supposedly going to provide for the people there are being intercepted by uh, Islamist terrorist groups like ISIS and Hezbollah mm. and others uh, to use for their own ends there. And uh, the, uh, the pro-Iranian uh, militias that are there in northern Syria are as much of an obstacle as getting help to the people who do desperately need it in this set of circumstances as, as, anything, as anything else uh, there. Uh, you know, we are uh, told, uh, for instance, another up, uh, uh, update, uh, as far as wars and rumors of wars are concerned, we've talked about earthquakes in various places, mm -hmm. uh, wars and rumors of wars, uh, the uh, ante has been upped a bit in what's going on uh, in uh, the uh, Ukraine region in that uh, for the first time since the Cold War, uh, Russia's northern fleet is now equipped with functional nuclear weapons. Um, they are uh, definitely saber-rattling uh, to the nth degree there. Uh, and, and so uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of tension about uh, the Nord Stream uh, 2 pipeline that was sabotaged. Our government uh, has indicated that we may have had a hand in that uh, directly. Uh, and uh, again, tying all things back to Israel, uh, the Nord Stream was one of the, uh, the main conduits uh, where Europe was uh, receiving uh, natural gas and, uh, and, uh, in order to meet their energy needs. Mm. Well, uh, because the Nord Stream pipeline uh, was sabotaged, we all know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's just a question of who did it. Uh, the interesting thing is now Europe is looking to Israel and the massive natural gas tracks that they have discovered offshore in the Mediterranean Sea to meet that need for natural gas as winter is, uh, is pretty much uh, grasping the European continent. The idea of having natural gas to be able to provide heating for homes and so on, pretty crucial stuff. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing uh, today is for the first time, uh, there was an article uh, that stated that Israel has now become an exporter, get this, of petroleum. Now, people are saying, petroleum, where in the world did Israel get the petroleum? We've mm. heard about natural gas, but, you know, how is Israel going to be joining, say, OPEC, uh, you know, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries? Well, uh, very interestingly, a Greek company working with Israel has come up with a process where they are able to take the natural gas and uh, essentially uh, convert it into uh, petroleum, as we would understand it. And the first shipment of this Israeli-produced petroleum is now on its way to European ports right now. And, and the reason this is significant is because in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, we are told that one of the main motivations uh, for a Russian-led invasion of Israel in the last days was to take spoil. Uh, you know, the idea of uh, th this coalition coming in to seize riches and goods from Israel uh, seem kind of like a non-starter for a lot of people because although Israel has a lot of 
touristy things and mm -hmm. major fruit exporter to the world and so on. Agriculturally, they're doing quite well. People say, well, you know, that hardly seems to be the stuff that you would use to as an excuse for an invasion or a prompting to do so. I don't know uh, a lot of uh, Russian dishes that require that many kiwis. Yeah, well, Ezekiel 38 says there's two reasons that Israel's going to be invaded. Number one, their defenses are down. Can't say that about Israel now. We believe from that this invasion is going to take place in the tribulation period where Israel will be under the covering of a peace treaty they're going to make with the Antichrist during that time. But secondly, we now begin to understand why that would be such a motivator. Because, uh, again, whoever controls energy in this world essentially controls the world economy. Yeah. And uh, if Israel does have these massive natural gas tracks and this natural gas is now able to be converted into uh, uh, petroleum, uh, so much so that Israel's looking at joining OPEC, of all things, uh, we can see why that would be a motivation for such an invasion. And, of course, presents themselves as an easier target than, say, Europe or China or the United States. Yeah, and speaking of Ezekiel chapter 38 and the uh, players coming on stage, fascinating development that I really hadn't heard covered in the news. This is why you want to uh, uh, subscribe to Amir's newsletter, because you'll get these insights here. Uh, the uh, Sudan government in Khartoum has reached an understanding with Moscow for building a Russian military base on Sudan's Red Sea coast. In return, the African country would be supplied with weapons and military equipment. All that's left is for the Sudanese government to approve the agreement. Now, this would provide Russia with a deep water port on the Red Sea. Sudan is... Uh, named as one of the invading coalition of nations that is going to attack Israel in that uh, tribulation era, we believe, uh, Gog and Magog invasion. Uh, led by Russia, of all things, it seems like Sudan and Russia are definitely chumming up there. The only thing that is standing in the way of this, <laughs> interestingly enough, is that the Su Sudan has not had an official government since the military overthrow of their dictator, uh, Omar al-Bashir in 2019. Uh, there was a subsequent military coup in October 2021. Mm. So as soon as Sudan gets a functional working government there, uh, that agreement will be completed. And uh, the uh, bringing under the umbrella of uh, Gog of the land of Magog, that is the Russian leader of this invasion, another key player is going to definitely come uh, on the scene. Uh, there have been a number of terrorist attacks that have gone on uh, in Israel. Uh, there are those who believe this might be the beginning of what is being called a third intifada or uprising. Uh, we really don't know what the motivation for these attacks or the uptick is because uh, Israel's policies have pretty much remained pretty constant during this time. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, sadly, there was another terrorist attack where a uh, man rammed a uh, bus station in Jerusalem, and uh, there were at least two people killed on the spot. A number more are in Israeli hospitals as we speak. Mm. And unfortunately, uh, this news was greeted by celebrations and the giving to children treats in the Palestinian-dominated uh, territories around Israel. So uh, very interesting things going on there as well. Uh, you may have heard this week about uh, the train derailment, uh, not only in, uh, in Ohio, but also another one in Michigan mm -hmm. that have uh, created ecological disasters of epic proportions uh, going on here. Uh, the uh, 
slow on the uptake response of our government to all of that and uh, the possibilities of seeing some uh, really massive and uh, difficult circumstances, especially for the people in the area. Uh, you know, in a fascinating uh, interchange on the air, uh, Governor Mike DeWine of uh, Ohio challenged uh, the uh, administration's uh, head of the EPA uh, after the head of the EPA said it's fine to drink tap water and so forth. He went and got a glass of tap water and said, here, why don't you drink it then? Mm. The man refused. So uh, there you go. we really don't know exactly what the extent of all that is, but we do know that the Bible tells us that in the last days, one of the uh, signs of the times, is going to be an increase in uh, plagues or pestilences, same word in the original language, but it does carry the idea of uh, something that can either be bacteriological or poisonous, uh, depending mm-hmm. upon how things are, uh, are you know, the, the context of the particular uh, passage there. The, wow. the word isn't as precise as we would like to think. Well, uh, yeah, and that uh, opening salvo, if you will, of the first uh, two billion people or so that will die in the offsets of the tribulation, we are taking a dispensationalist, futurist point of view for those listening. Um, notes that this won't necessarily be a casualties as a result of war. It notes through disease and wild animals and just violence in general. And we know from, say, for instance, the 2020 riots, we know that people can do a lot more damage or at least just as much damage as an actual military engagement. Mm -hmm. We know that from these situations, plagues like the third of the water being poisoned by wormwood supernaturally, Mm -hmm. when it happens by natural means, it's scary enough because, you know, human beings, we need water. But not knowing if this is going to be a rainbow, you know, sparkle swirl or just some clear sustenance and hydration is not the sort of questions you think you'd have to ask yourself when getting up in the morning, at least not in a first world country. Boiling it obviously won't help either. These are dangerous chemicals. But when we're talking about these sort of things, we first want to clarify to all those listening, oh, is this the plague? The answer is no. But it is giving us a foreshadowing of what that will be on a global scale. Oh, well, is it possible that Wormwood will actually just be another incompetent administration spilling chemicals everywhere? Well, A, the Antichrist isn't going to get his PR by being a bumbling, you know, dementia patient. He's going to actually have things in order. The reason these things will take place in Scripture is spelled out for us. The trumpet sounds. A star fell from heaven. The waters are poisoned. And noting, of course, the significance of that, the term star is referencing a light source using the same language as, for instance, the book of Job, and understanding this is from a spiritual origin. And, of course, people dying from the water because it was made bitter. It's compared literally to wormwood, like the prophet Jeremiah describes, as an object of the wrath of God. They reject him. They'll be given gall and wormwood to drink. So the point being made is this. We need to not fall into the trap of newspaper eschatology, looking at the current events and saying, this is the fulfillment of the end times. Believe me, two billion people is going to be hard to miss. Believe me, the trumpet judgments are going to be hard to miss. But when we see these things happening exclusively in the United States, in specific areas of the United States, and we can take your questions to the significance of that, but the point being made is just that. Make sure that you don't fall into these traps of being reactionary, be informed, be consistent, and, of course, make sure that you are biblical in your approach towards these topics. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, just as a uh, cherry in the cake, uh, 
China has announced that they are looking at tripling the amount of uh, nuclear weapons that they possess. Uh, China can, uh, the good news is China uh, possesses roughly 20% of the uh, total amount of nuclear weapons that Russia or the United States mm. uh, currently have at their disposal. But they certainly do seem to be wanting to up the ante. And that mm. certainly does fit in the category of wars and rumors of wars. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. And that's concerning yeah. with the, the uh, spy balloons and all that going on and all these things. Yeah. You know, the way this is going to come together. Is, yeah. Well, yeah. How, how do you dismantle a society? You make it question its politicians, its police force, its sources yeah. of education, everything, infrastructure. All of these things are being done, and we can share our opinions perhaps in person. We'll focus on the Bible for the next 37 minutes. Yeah. But yeah. the point being made is just that uh, it's a time where people are having to basically take a side. Are they going to trust in man or God to be their hope for the future? And uh, the decision's been, meet- been made easier for all the faults of our administration, at least makes our conversations a lot simpler. Yeah, and it always dovetails into the often asked question, uh, is uh, the United, why is the United States mentioned in biblical prophecy? Mm-hmm. Uh, three possible options. Number one, some kind of limited war takes us out. Uh, some people have postulated that. Other people have uh, said that uh, the United States is just going to continue to decline as a nation. It's going to lose its uh, ability to be the 800-pound economic and military gorilla on the block, Mm. just like the British Empire did before us. Uh, And many others. doesn't necessarily um, require the direct intervention of God for that to happen, but a people who turn away from God uh, certainly are going to lose confidence in their mainstream institutions. Uh, Because I said so, uh, is uh, no substitute for we hold these truths to be self-evident, that mm-hmm. all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. You can have a society that's based upon might makes right, and uh, the, the results of the latest Gallup poll and uh, politicking, uh, or even you know this uh, strange, odd conglomeration of corporatism and big government that we see here. But uh, if the people don't believe in it, uh, sooner or later it's going to fall apart. And uh, there's just a lot of credibility problems going on with uh, not just government, but all of our mainstream institutions uh, in in our country today. Could we be just moving in that direction? God's saying you've had your time in the sun. Uh, You know, the amount of uh, just abortions alone. Uh, God uh, is uh, patient, but he's nobody's fool. And sooner or later you pay the, the price for it. Uh, that that kind of evil. Joel Rosenberg, our good friend, uh, asked the question, are we in the United States on the edge of a Jonah-like moment mm. or a Nahum-like moment? Mm. And for those of you not familiar with your minor prophets, uh, in Jonah, uh, the nation of Assyria, their capital city of Nineveh, was given a second chance mm. to be able to repent, and uh, a mass revival took place, uh, so much so that even the, the king put on sackcloth they were even putting sackcloth and ashes on Bessie the cow to show God how sorry they were about mm-hmm. their sins, and God spared them. There was an incredible turnaround. It's been called the world's greatest revival with the world's worst evangelist mm-hmm. because uh, Jonah wasn't interested in seeing the Ninevites <laughs> turn. He wanted to see them uh, nuked till they glowed and shot in the dark. Yeah. Uh, but God spared them. However, less than 100 years later, the prophet Nahum came on the scene, and Assyria was back up to its old tricks, its old idolatries, its own old cruelties. And God said, uh, time for judgment has come. Mm. So I think Joel raises a really important point. Are we in the United States on the edge of uh, a second chance, like in Jonah, 
uh, or are we on the edge of God saying uh, time to close up shop? The other alternative, obviously, is the rapture of the church. Uh, as we mentioned before, uh, if conservatively speaking, according to estimates, uh, there are 50 million professing evangelical Bible-believing Christians in this country, uh, if even half that figure is correct, what would happen to this country if suddenly 25 million people have vanished yeah. without a trace? <laughs> well, we'd collapse, yeah. and we'd probably be get hit, hit as hard, or I would argue harder, uh, than any other nation mm. on the face of the earth. So I'm hoping that we do such a great job in outreach and evangelism, telling people about Jesus, that when the rapture happens, that's why that's the United the States yeah. is not a player. So, so people always ask that question. I just wanted to give a brief answer to that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I remember a TV show back in England um, when I was growing up, called, uh, I think it was called Crime Watch, but they would show reconstructions of crimes that hadn't been solved, like local things, in a hope to you know, to solve them. And right. at the end of every show, they'd always say, you know, don't have nightmares, do sleep well. And that'd be the end of every, you know, obviously it was kind Thanks. of like it's a show, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And going, oh, this guy hasn't been caught, this guy hasn't been caught, but don't have nightmares, do sleep well. But I was reminded of that, but we... Remain calm. That's right, yes. All is well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But we can pray and we have a hope. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear and, right. you know, we know where to direct our prayers and, and that God is sovereign over all those things. So... Ooh, it's good to bounce out. Well, thank you for sharing that, that wonderful update. Um, we have questions coming in. Thank you for that, viewers. Uh, question from Neko. We decided we're going to pronounce it that way. Um, his question. Mean cat? Huh? Yeah, in Japanese. In, that means cat in Japanese. I voted oh, does Neko. It? Neko? 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 You, you. You know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know who you are. One who asked this question. That's right. It's a great question. The question is, there's a scripture I'll, I'll quote as well that he uh, quoted. But the question is, is it possible to lust after your own wife? This is a great question. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So we quote to that scripture, but again the question, yeah. can you lust after your own wife? That's yeah, notice that passage doesn't exclusively say that uh, not in fornication and dishonor, specifically sexual activity in general outside of marriage, that mm. within marriage, your sexuality is to be practiced in a moral way, mm. that we're to abstain from the immoral use of our sexuality. Mm. Now, when we're talking about lust, we're talking about just in broad strokes, an immoral attitude and perspective towards others, right. specifically in a sexual context. Yeah, but, a very, very self-oriented. But, of course, yeah. it can apply to other things. We talked about the lust of food, the lust of power, the lust of, you know, van of uh, affirmation. We call that vanity. But on and on it goes. So when we ask the question, you know, once I get married, are all of my, you know, uh, struggles with sexual immorality done with because there's now a lawful apparatus for it to participate right. in? No, and speaking to two men in the marriage department who can speak from experience on this, I think you can say amen. Mm -hmm. So, is it true that you can lust while being married? Yes, in fact, that's more <laughs> probable than when you're single, because at least when you're single, it's a yes-no option. But when you're married, you have to consider the well-being of your partner, you have to consider the time and circumstances, the interests and responsibilities that come with that sort of ministry, and you have to note the attitude is what's the problem, not just in a sexual context and action, but the passage that you quoted, it notes immorality. Mm. 
the purpose and not doing that, the intention and not doing that, the opportunity to glorify God and not doing that. That can be done even if you live with somebody, even if you're married to somebody, even if you're single. So note that issue. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I would say, you know, the word lust, epithumia, in the original language literally means a strong, even overwhelming desire. Mm. That's all it means. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, the word epithumia is used to describe even how the Holy Spirit uh, desires to have his proper place within our lives, the oh, really? flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit yeah. against the flesh. And these two are in opposition that you do not do the things that you please yep. uh, in Galatians chapter five. Very interesting word uh, being used there yeah. of a strong, passionate desire. As mm. soon as we bring out the L word though, uh, lust, mm. that definitely has connotations. And as you mentioned, Sean, if uh, the idea of a passionate desire uh, for our spouse in a marital con, uh, context is present. Certainly nothing wrong with that. I think of what Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 15 says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only for your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Mm. Now, that phrase, be enraptured with your love, I'd say you should look at your spouse and say, wow, I'm just so blessed to be here. That's how I feel about my wife. Mm. Uh, and and there, there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, it is a very God-honoring thing to be able to share with one another. However, if that being enraptured with love is suddenly, as you mentioned, Sean, uh, divorced from the idea of what my main job description is as a husband in a Christian setting. Ephesians chapter five says, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. I think that's such an interesting insight because people will ask uh, in very private conversations, is this okay to do when you're married? Or is that okay to do when you're married? And, and so on. And they'll bring up some behaviors and activities that are you know, definitely beyond the pale of a family-oriented program like this. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the answer to that is, uh, okay, but if you're talking about something like this, you should talk about it. You should take into account how that other person feels about a particular behavior, a particular activity. Uh, if uh, there is something distasteful about it, then you're not loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Uh, you're not seeing uh, her being able to grow in her, and I'm speaking from the perspective of the husband here, because it's the only one I can speak from. Uh, I, I'm not helping and enabling my wife to submit to my spiritual leadership like the church does to Christ. If I lead her into things that she finds distasteful, uncomfortable, maybe even things that bring up back negative memories and experiences from the past, mm. because I want to do it. Yeah. You know, because this might really, you know, uh, cause me, you know, to have some kind of sensual experience. That's not loving the way God wants us to love. Mm -hmm. God calls us to a higher love than that. 
So yeah, a love that doesn't seek its own, a love that includes the yeah. fruit of the spirit, which yeah. is self-control. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer the question, what do you mean by lust? Um, do you mean having a strong desire for your wife? I hope you do. But if you mean a very self, selfish, self-centered, I want what I want when I want it. I really don't care how it affects the other person. Ah, she'll get over it kind of a thing. No, you're, you, that's definitely not something you want to do. But yeah. like you mentioned, Sean, uh, just because you stand in front of a church, exchange vows and wedding rings, and the pastor pronounces you husband and wife, doesn't mean that the struggle with the flesh goes away. Right. So, yeah. yeah, very good. Great, great answer, great question. Thank you for that, Neko. Uh, question from O.K. Burton. Uh, is deliverance from the spirits of things like generational curse, anger, uh, jealousy? Um, so when people are struggling with these things, is this a spiritual thing? Is being delivered from a spirit of anger? Yeah, the, a, a mindset that, and again, there's two positions on this, the right one and the you know that one, no, no. but <laughs> that one. <laughs> but the the mindset is that when the Bible, say for instance, you mentioned Second Timothy one, we started not having a spirit of fear and these sort of things. They think that a spirit would be then a conscious entity that you're afflicted or being influenced by right. a spirit that embodies fear, and that somehow we're possessed by something else like power, love, and a sound mind. And then they'll you know maybe in the best of cases say, oh, this is Trinity or whatever. Make sure that you're aware of the simple fact. The individual who left this, their username, made an excellent observation in the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in us, so it'd be kind of weird for us to be in this tug-of-war spiritually as far as possession is concerned, that this is a conscious entity influencing our behavior from the outside in or from the inside out. If, on the other hand, we'd say the Spirit of fear is an attitude, a worldview, a approach towards life that fits with the whole context of chapter one, Timothy being afraid of speaking at a time when persecution was starting to rear its ugly head, and Paul reminding and exhorting him, this attitude doesn't come from God. God will give you the confidence to not only speak truth, but to do so sanely, lovingly, and with the power needed to accomplish it, with courage, with the strength to accomplish it, just like he told Joshua in chapter one of the same book. So follow through on the mindset. If my interpretation of this bend, this idea, a spirit of fear or a spirit of anger or spirit of whatever vice or struggle the flesh you want to name is an external entity, you're right, that isn't biblical. But if on the other hand, I take a step back and go, what can I choose to do in conflict with the spirit who's trying to conform me into the image of Christ? I can have a bad attitude. I can let anger dominate me as a God-given gift, but in the wrong way. I can let lust drive rather than me understand where I'm supposed to act and where I shouldn't. On and on it goes. Just make sure that this whole deliverance mindset isn't one that you entertain because it not only removes a lot of responsibility from people who right. want to take more of it, but it also is directly contrary to Scripture, which is the thing we most care about. And this isn't just in the New Testament, it's in the Old as well. Yeah. Uh, the, they're, inevitably, when churches get knee-deep in this idea of deliverance ministries, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we're seeing uh, some shots over the bow as far as uh, the Asbury Awakening or the revival right. there. They're already talking about exorcisms being performed at these 
uh, gatherings and so on. That doesn't surprise uh, me. You know, it, you know the the issue always comes up. Well, you you know you can have a familiar spirit. Well, where does the term familiar spirit come from mm. in the scripture, or the idea that somehow uh, we we in order to become Christ-like, have to uh, have all these different uh, beasties and entities and imps and demons cast out of us. Uh, they'll say, well, you know, they can't possess you, but they can so oppress you that, you know, you're no longer responsible for any of your own decisions and you right. need to have this deliverance take place. Never do we ever see in any of the epistles, talking about the New Testament, uh, in the ministry of Jesus or in the book of Acts, any uh, kind of teaching, any kind of instruction that says, oh, you've got a besetting area of sin in your life, uh, well, you need to have uh, that, uh, I don't know, uh, demon of eating too many carbs cast out of you. Mm. Uh, I need that. You know, so, uh, you know, we'll cut, you know and, and, and people have these, <laughs> give it to you. people have these cathartic, over-the-top emotional experiences. Yeah. Uh, they'll experience some kind of relief or release from a, for a few days, as long as the emotion keeps going. Yeah. But pretty soon, they're back up to their old thing, and then they have to come back for a re-deliverance. Uh, and, and, you know, it becomes a self-perpetuating yeah. system. But the, the, the tragic thing is that the Scripture never says that. It says that we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Right. Now, it doesn't mean that our bodies are inherently evil. But when we see, especially in Galatians chapter 5, that the flesh and the spirit war against each other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what it really means is uh, we've uh, inverted, if you will, uh, the way God intended us to live as human beings. Uh, we were intended, first of all, to be spiritual in our relationship with God, but also physical. We could trust God to meet our physical needs. The flesh inverts that. You know, it says, well, you know, uh, the spirit is Im- spiritual things are important, but it's the flesh, it's the physical that really matters. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, what God says is, yeah, your physical matters, but what really matters is your relationship with me. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? All the things the Gentiles eagerly seek, stuff for the body and so forth. But, uh, you know, when we invert these things and we live our lives like these things are true, that's when we get into big time trouble. Mm-hmm. And that's our responsibility. We have the choice. Uh, whether we're going to be led by the spirit or led by the flesh. And it's a day-to-day experience. That's why I always say to people, man, before your feet hit the carpet in the morning, you know, say to the Lord, Lord, I need the incoming power of your spirit. I need that that overflow of your spirit uh, to live through me, to keep me from living the flesh-dominated life. You know, and as often as we need to ask for that power of the Holy Spirit, we need to ask because God will give us that gift. But the other thing that always comes with it is, well, you know, maybe, you know, the reason you struggle in this area is because, uh, you know, one of your ancestors played with a Ouija board and, yeah. or did tarot cards uh, or something. Like, and there's been a spiritual influence over you and you have to renounce that and you have to be delivered from all of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a really great scripture that I think gives us God's point of view about all of this. And you'll say, oh, but I've experienced it. And oh, it was so wonderful. Like, yeah, 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 wonderful, great. But what does God say about it? Uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, the word of the Lord came to me again saying, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, 
saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, he shall live, says the Lord. Uh, you know, and, and again, uh, you know, the scripture uh, comes back to this summary where people are saying, uh, oh, you know, the way of the Lord isn't right. God isn't being fair with us. But God turns around and says, no, it's your ways that aren't right. Mm pointing the fingers and saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm an adult child of stamp collectors and I just, you know, I have no choice but to act this way. Yeah. Um, you know, that's very popular in our, you know, and you guys did a wonderful job yesterday of introducing this idea of a, a therapy rather than truth-based culture that we live in, yeah. in our day and age. And it, and it bleeds over into the church. Right. And I think that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. And they say, oh, you know, you've got to explore your past. And you've got to explore your ancestors. And you see, it's not really your fault. It was what they did. And you're, you know, uh, they've eaten the sour grapes and your teeth are set on edge. Yeah. I've even heard people say that at these meetings and go, whoa, 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 time out. That's quoting something that was being debunked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is not standard operating procedure. This is something you should avoid like the plague. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, we are all moral and spiritual free agents, if you will. We are responsible for that mm. freedom, that agency that God gives to us. Satan cannot overpowered that just like jesus didn't say in revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 behold i stand at the door and knock and i'm going to huff and puff and blow your door down and come into your life whether you like it or not right. um no the bible says but to as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of god we have uh, been given by god the opportunity to say yes or no to a relationship with god same thing works with the powers of darkness nobody gets possessed or highly oppressed uh, demonized or or demon possessed, whatever terms you want to use, by accident. They're not just walking down the road and suddenly, uh, you know, this this imp jumped on them and oh, now it's controlling their life and and so on. It, it, yeah. You know, you have to cultivate that. Mm. You know, you have to ask uh, these entities to have control mm. in your life. I remember uh, one uh, exorcism situation that I was involved with at Calvary Costa Mesa. This uh, woman, uh, this woman who went to our college group, brought her mom in and says, you know, she speaks with this other voice and all of this other stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, she's and the, and the woman was very upfront about it. she didn't speak in the otherworldly voice around me. But she said, well, actually, um, that entity satisfies my need for romantic love. So I want that entity in my life. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, well, I can, you know, uh, pray and slap oil on your head and do whatever you want, but it's not going to do any good as long as you're the one that's permitting right. this particular entity to do his thing. Now, when we in invite these kind of fallen spiritual entities into our lives, we need to realize something, you know, that they come in, but uh, then they kind of slam the door and start taking over. And whether you mm. really like what they're there to do or not long-term is a completely different issue. They usually come in promising power or some kind of satisfaction or some kind of sense of significance and meaning. And they come in and like Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. That's, but. that's inevitably what happens, but I've come, they might have life and have it more abundantly. Amen. 
So, you know, nobody gets demonized or possessed accidentally. Uh, it, it doesn't happen. But if people want to monkey around with those things mm. and think they can be in power or use the demonic to get what they want out of life, you know, think about the Sam Smith yeah. deal at the Emmys and all this stuff. Ooh, how transgressive. Ooh, how how radical this is. Well, Bono of U2 trotted around the stage dressed up like a devil, saying sympathy for the devil uh, way back then. Meyer, we've all seen it. Mick Jagger did it better, you know. And, Yoko Ono and yeah, Marilyn Manson yeah. tearing up Bibles. It's nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the, the thing is, you see long-term what happens to these people that think they can use the powers of darkness to get what they want. Yeah, uh, It works for a while, but, uh, you know, no offense intended. There is one very popular singer from my era uh, who made her living with her overt sexuality and her sensuality. She was quite attractive back then. You look at her now and, you know, it's kind of like a picture of plastic surgery gone wrong. Mm. You know, I mean, almost looking, you know, like clown-like or freakish mm. almost. And you see what happens long-term to people like this. Yeah. You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, gee, what's going to happen? Uh, what do I want to have happen to me in my life? I know I, I want to become a burned-out has-been that people look upon and mock uh, because uh, I thought I could control darkness and use it to my own ends. Mm. Nobody wakes up and thinks that. Right. And they think, ooh, you know, if I just sell out a little bit, mm. and go to Epstein Island and offer a few offerings there, I can be a part of the elite and yeah. a part of the in crowd and, and so forth. But they don't realize uh, that they're being played. Yeah. And, and Satan's a liar and he lies to people because he knows that God loves people. Yeah. He loves those people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's just nothing more tragic than seeing people deceived along that line. Yeah. But it's a purposeful decision right. that people make. They might be deceived into it, but nobody but nobody gets dominated by the wicked one by accident. Yeah, that so, responsibility yeah. comes on us. Great. Yeah. Well, okay, Burton, thank you for that question. A great question. I hope that, that helps you out. Uh, great discussion for sure. Um, question from Mac D. This is a great question. Mm -hmm. uh, do people go to hell because they don't believe and have relationship with Jesus or because of sin? Yeah, the sin is the why. Their lack of relationship with Jesus is the how. Uh, good place to start on this. John chapter 3 and verse 18. <laughs> not 16. Yeah. Uh, we all know that one. <laughs> so but, uh, notes, whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's in reference to the son who is sent into the world. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he's a sinner? No, Romans 3 notes that's universal. What is the condemnation? Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And this is the base of the condemnation. You see this throughout the gospel accounts and scripture as well. Uh, Mark 16, 16 notes the fine line. Jesus speaking to his disciples said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Notice the line there, the sin that separates you that makes all the difference in eternity. And we can go to other passages, but I think that makes the point. Yeah, yeah, you know, again, uh, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit when he came would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, interestingly, he said, because of sin, because they don't believe in me. Yeah. You know, what Jesus is saying is there's only one sin God can't forgive. And that is the failure to believe in the right. provision for forgiveness that Jesus died on a cruel Roman cross and rose from the dead in a moment of history to provide for us. Mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, if you say no to that, there's no fallback position. There's no plan B. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Great. Great question, Mac D. Thank you for that. Great foundational uh, question for our Christian faith, for sure. Uh, question came in on YouTube. Is there a book of Nathan that mm -hmm. isn't in the Bible? Um, and they mentioned First Chronicles 29, 29. Yeah, let me read the passage. It mentions three people in that passage. Now, the acts of King David, first and last, indeed, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer. We know that one. The book of Nathan the prophet, that's not in my concordance, and the book of Gad the seer, with all his reign and his might and the events that happened to him, to Israel, and to the kingdoms of the lands. So three people mentioned, three people named, Samuel, Nathan, and Gad. Now, Gad is, interestingly enough, given the same title as Samuel, who was the last judge of Israel and the judge that anointed the first kings of Israel. And he was also the head of the school of the prophets. Now, I mention those details not to show off biblical trivia, but because it actually addresses the issue. In the book of 1 Samuel, you'll notice that when you get into the 20 chapters, it mentions and reports that Samuel died. Now, if that's the case, then either Samuel was given a fast-forward look and summary of history before it happened, and Saul knew of his fate before it happened for, well, maybe 20 years in advance, or another person took over the autobiography of the kings of Israel, and that's where the names of these books is actually interesting. The books of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Kings used to just be one book. It was called the Kings, the book of the kings of Israel. Now, obviously, as is still the case today, when people are recording history, the word history comes from the word histor, which means eyewitness. The people who wrote it are the ones who saw it. Right. And as we remember, Samuel obviously has his name mentioned a lot in the book of First Samuel, but he's been dead for at least eight chapters when Second Samuel <laughs> starts. So what's going on? Well, another head of the prophets took over the responsibility of recording King David and Saul's exploits, as well as Mephibosheth and others, and his name is also mentioned in the incident with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet. Then, as well, later on in the book, there's another name mentioned, an interesting individual named Gad, who was speaking to David in 1 Samuel 22 and verse 5. It is reported to him by this prophet, uh, don't stay in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah, and he listens to him. So he considered this guy a source of confidence mm -hmm. as a man of God. He calls him a prophet. So all these men were alive at the times of David and Saul, Mephibosheth, the introductory kings of Israel. The first, second, uh, the first and second books of Samuel are credited to Samuel because Samuel was directly involved in the anointing of these two kings, Saul and David. So 1 Samuel with Saul is the focus, and the, end, and the book ends with the end of his reign. Not because the divisions of books and chapters was divinely inspired, but they're categorizing it for us. The first king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, and how he rose to power and eventually died. 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles by extension, was written by Ezra as a recap of these books as Israel's coming back into the land. He references 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings as well, in noting this is where you can get this information, and even more importantly, because these questions were being asked, where did they get it from? The people who were there. Not just Samuel, but also Nathan, also Gad. So the books of Nathan and Gad are those sections of First and Second Samuel that Samuel wasn't there to write. Yeah, 
Yeah, was there a book of Gad the seer or a book of Nathan? Certainly, at one point, uh, people make claims uh, that they have these books. There's a group of uh, Jews in India who uh, claim to have uh, the uh, work written by Gad uh, mm. the seer. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, tells a lot about David's exploits, visions from God, and the people around him. The, the problem, though, is that uh, the composition of this book uh, was about, even if you're going to give it the, the, the greatest sense of credulity uh, that you can possibly associate with it. Which Deuteronomy goes, says no. <laughs> probably goes back to the, about 200 years after Christ. That's probably as early and twelve hundred years after David. Many many scholars actually uh, believe that it uh, really was composed in the Middle Ages, as as you say, fan fiction. Yeah. You know, someone saying, "Ooh, wouldn't it be great if we had the Book of Gad?" And I bet Gad would have said this about David and yada yada yada. Um, no, you know why why don't we accept those things as being uh, part of the Scripture? Well, Jesus never spoke of them. First and foremost, we never see the apostles quoting from them. Uh, you know, we don't see them. You know, uh, again, preserved in any any uh, kind of lengthy uh, sort of a format. Even in the Old Testament, even in later times, like saying Ezra saying, "Oh yeah, the Book of Nathan the prophet." Here's an excerpt, and I want to quote this to you. Yeah, it's like uh, asking, "Where's the Book of Elijah?" Well, it's part of First Kings. Yeah. Because that's the part he was recording as head of the school of the prophets. Yeah, and and you know people say, well, why don't we have more information? Well, I think it kind of comes down to something the apostle John said at uh, the end of the gospel account that bears his name. Uh, he, uh, this was his assessment. He said in verse twenty-five, last line of John chapter twenty-one. There are also many other things that Jesus did, which, if were written one by one, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Right. Amen. Well, that tells me something. Instead of obsessing about the stuff we don't have, we should really be grateful for the stuff that we do mm, yeah. uh, because the stuff that we do is really, really important. Yeah. And if we needed the other stuff, it would have been preserved. The fact that we do have uh, the eyewitness accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the New Testament, we have the books of Moses and, and so on, the writings of the prophets, preserved with such integrity, especially when you stop and consider, if you're with us, in Ezekiel on Wednesday nights, mm. Ezekiel wasn't saying complimentary things about the Jewish people. Mm. He wasn't, you know, he was the original speak the truth to power kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the powers that be uh, would have probably done anything to get rid of all this. But the bottom line was they realized this was really God speaking here. And uh, even they didn't want to cross that particular line. Right. So uh, the, the, the scriptures that we have, I think if we're faithful with those, then, you know, yeah. well, someday when you get to heaven, you can say, hey, can I see a copy of the book of God? God will show it <laughs> to you. Got any more? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we got two minutes, but the individual who asked this question also had another question earlier this week about the statement that was made in uh, John chapter 5 and verse 30, where Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing. Uh, and this is as a challenge to Jesus being God and that Jesus defers to the Father as the only God. This is what we call the heresy of Unitarianism and a denial of the deity of Christ. 
those listening, this is important to understand if you're talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, as well as Mormons and some non-Christian Pentecostal groups. Obviously, when it comes to the non-negotiables, it's who Jesus is, who God is, where we get this information, the scripture, and of course, the nature of salvation. We want to give more time to this, but we have a minute. So if you want to give me full reign or do you have yeah, knock, knock yourself out. Okay, let me no, start no, in verse no, 24. Show, show Jesus speaking, this is leading up to the verse. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. So, noting Jesus deferring to belief in the Father. But then it notes, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Father. No, the Son of God. Jesus identifies himself and his voice as what? Those who will hear him will live. For as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Tell me, according to the Old Testament, well known by this audience, who is the source of life? Who is the maintainer of life? Who's the one who will resurrect the dead according to Daniel 12? It's the Lord. Yet Jesus and the Father both claim these exclusive traits. He has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Daniel 7, why is he being worshipped by all creation when only God is supposed to be worshipped that way? Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice, the Son of Man's voice, and come forth, those who have done good to resurrection of life, those who have done evil, resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. I hear and I judge, and my judgment is righteous. They seek to do the will, not of my own, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus embodies the perfect nature of the Father. He's not in conflict with the deity of God. He is deity, sharing it with the Father. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday. Bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.